Well, again, it's good to be able to worship with all of you today. If you're visiting with us, we are thrilled to have you as our guest today, and I hope that uh, you have been made to feel welcome, and it hasn't been awkward for you, because this is just a great group of loving people, and uh, we're blessed that you decided to get up and come and worship with us this morning. If you're looking for a church home, we'd love to talk with you further about joining us and how you can help us to build the kingdom right here in our community, uh, and not only in our community, but all around the world. also want to welcome those that are joining us online today. It's great to have you join us online. We hate that you can't be here with us today, uh, and we would love to have you join us if you live here in the area in person. Well, I'm excited today to be starting a new series with you that uh, is called Bloom Where Planted, and it's a series from the Old Testament book of Daniel. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning and you want to follow along, we're going to be in uh, the Old Testament, the book of Daniel, beginning in chapter 1, and I want to kind of explain where this title for this series came from. Uh, Lynette used to work with a, a very dear lady that's a, a dear friend of ours and our family uh, when she worked here at, uh, for the Greenbrier School District. And she would often encourage Lynette uh, as a teacher and an administrator uh, in the district. And some of you that, that uh, are teachers can, can probably understand this from time to time. Uh, they, they might uh, come to you and say, we need you to move Maybe move to a different building, maybe move to a different grade, maybe take a new position. And, and whatever that was, whatever it was that, that might come and, and that Lynette might be asked to do or she might be faced with, this friend of hers would always tell her in reminder, bloom where you are planted. Bloom where you are planted. She even gave her a little desktop uh, plaque that Lynette still has in her office today, where she works now, uh, that reminds her of that. It has a picture of a flower on it, and it says, Bloom where you are planted. Now, I told Hunter, uh, who was the uh, guitar player over here, if you don't know, the, the guitar player and the keyboard player are my sons, and they're twins. Uh, but anyway, Hunter is our creative arts pastor here, which basically means this. He's over anything computer-wise, uh, technology, audiovisual. He takes care. He does our graphics for us and everything that we do uh, for us. And so I, I told Hunter, I, I will always give him, a, a, you know, hopefully a week's notice, a few days' notice uh, about the series that we're going to. And I told him I wanted the title of this series to be Bloom Where You Are Planted. And he pushed back and he told me, he, he obviously hasn't grasped, I guess since he's my son, I don't know, but he hasn't grasped that I'm the boss and that he works for me in this situation, in this scenario. And so when I told him I wanted the series to be called Bloom Where You Are Planted, he told me, he said, I'm not doing that. That doesn't, that's too many words for a good graphic or a title for a series. And so he shortened it. And, and you know, some battles just aren't worth fighting. I'm not going to fire him over that. 
uh, but but uh, he's, he's pushing the line to get fired, best I can tell. But, but anyway, uh, you know, some battles aren't worth fighting. So I let him do his cute little graphic here, however he wanted to do it. And to be honest with you, it's not that great, is it? I mean, it don't even look that good. But hey, he's the graphic guy. I'm not. Um, but anyway, so while the graphic during this series that you're going to see on social media and here this morning says bloom where planted, I will be calling it bloom where you are planted because that only makes sense, right? Amen? Huh? I mean, does that make any sense at all? No. Uh, huh? When's the what? I, I, I never. <laughs> never. So... Yeah, maybe he's right. You may have a good point there. But anyway, the series is called Bloom Where You Are Planted. All right. But the reason I was led to this title was because we've actually uh, been doing a Bible study on Wednesday night. For those of you that haven't joined us, we've been doing a Bible study on the book of Revelation. Uh, and several times throughout that study, we've, we have been taken back to the book of Daniel because there's so much prophecy that is found in the Old Testament that lines up with what we find in, in the book of Revelation. Uh, and so the reason that I was led to this title was because in this story of Daniel, as we look at his life, blooming where he was planted was exactly what he did. I mean, he was put in uh, some places and he was put in some, some situations that he didn't choose, that he would have never have chosen for himself. But what did he do? He made the best out of it. He, he made the best of the situations and the circumstances that he found himself in. And, and my prayer in this series is that you and I will find ourselves being able to relate to Daniel and his circumstance uh, even though ours is nothing compared to what he was facing or he went through, but that we would embrace the opportunities that we have in life the same way that Daniel did. Uh, we don't, because, you know, we know we don't always get to pick our situations, do we? We don't always get to pick our circumstances. Uh, we sometimes find ourselves in a particular season of life that we wouldn't have chosen and we didn't really want to be in. But with God's help, we can still grow and we can still bloom and we can still be useful and we can still be faithful even in those seasons of life and those situations and those circumstances that we find ourselves in. Now, I've preached from... Daniel uh, a few times uh, uh, in my ministry, but I've never really focused on the entire book or, or done a series from it. So that's what I want us to do together over these next few weeks. Uh, and so uh, I'm excited to be digging into it because uh, I know that there's a lot of good stuff here that we're going to be going over uh, as we learn how to be a faithful witness in a dark and even sometimes hostile environment. So let's dig in this morning. We're going to pick it up at verse 1. Uh, we're going to get a little history first as to what is going on here. So uh, starting at verse 1, it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, 
king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Now, King Jehoiakim was the king of Israel at this time, and he's leading Israel in a way that dishonored God. We're seeing again where the nation of Israel uh, is finding itself caught up in the things of the world, caught up in the things of culture. They are being dis, uh, they're living in a way that dishonored God under this king's leadership, and they were compromising their beliefs and walking down a path that God didn't want them to travel again, uh, uh, on. And once again, as we see all throughout the history, of the nation of Israel, God warned them. God would give them a warning, typically through a prophet. And He warned them that if they continued down this path, if they continued this life of disobedience, that there would be punishment for that, and that they would be exiled. What did they do? Well, they continued down that path, they continued to live in sin. They continued as a nation to live in, in disobedience to God. And God kept His promise. And I just want to stop right here today and say that is a warning for us as well. That's a warning for you and I as well. As a nation, but most importantly, as individuals. In our personal lives, if you think that you can continue to live in sin, if you think that you can continue to live in disobedience to God, don't miss this. God will not allow it to continue. He will not allow it to continue. He kept His word to Israel and He will keep His word to you. So don't think that your life of sin and your life of disobedience to God will not go unpunished and that you won't find yourself in a place of exile. Paul said, do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. And we need to make note of that. And we need to understand that today. We shouldn't mistake God's patience with the fact that He's going to allow you to continue to live in your sin and disobedience. And He's not kidding about this. The warning is real. It is true. And He will be faithful to it. And so someone here today maybe needed to hear that so that they would wake up and get serious about the things of God because He is not kidding. And so the nation of Israel was invaded they were exiled by the Babylonians, and King Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon, and so this is their punishment for disobedience and not being faithful to God. Now, verse 3, then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, 
well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. Much like many of you here today, the best of the best, right? That's who he said go get. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. So they were to be schooled and they were to be trained in the ways of Babylon. Now, that may not mean much to you. That might not seem like such a big deal. But I want to stop here for just a second and talk about Babylon. For those of you that have not been joining us in our Wednesday night uh, Bible study on Revelation, but there's some very important symbolism all throughout Scripture when it comes to Babylon. Now, Babylon doesn't exist anymore. Uh, it, it is located now in what we know as uh, Iraq is actually where Babylon would have been. But not only was Babylon a nature, uh, nature, a nation, all right, but after uh, they were destroyed in Scripture, we often see Babylon represent every secular kingdom, every secular government that has happened since that point, okay? Uh, as a matter of fact, in the New Testament, we see that the early Christians uh, used the name Babylon as, Babylon as kind of like a code word for Rome, all right? So, uh, and then in the book of Revelation, we see it again. Babylon is the name that John uses for the secular world systems, the secular uh, world governments, that would be in opposition and leading people uh, away from God and apart uh, from the gospel. And so the point is this. Babylon was a term used in Scripture, is a term used in Scripture, for secular power, secular government, and secular influences in the world. It's the kingdom and the, the power where, don't miss this, where man is at the center of it, all right? Where man is in charge. And here's the deal. Satan has always used secular governments, secular societies, secular media, and secular businesses to wage war against God's people, and it still exists today. Now, here's the deal. Most of you here today, like Daniel, have been called to live and to be a witness for God in Babylon. Every week, you go to work in Babylon. You go to school in Babylon, you find that your homes that you live in are in Babylon. And that's the reason that I wanted to do this series, because the book of Daniel is a great how-to guide to be a faithful follower of Christ in Babylon, and how we can survive, and not only survive, but how we can thrive and how we can bloom where we have been planted. Now, the book of Daniel is written, written in, a, in a very confusing way. Uh, I'll be honest with you, it's, 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 
hard to kind of grasp as you go through because some of it was written in uh, the language of Babylon. Some of it was written in the, the Hebrew language. And, and so it, it can kind of be confusing and I understand that. But if you understand the context of that, it makes more sense to you. Ver, uh, chapters 1 through 7 uh, here are basically about the, the life events of, of Daniel. Uh, things that take place. A lot of famous stories there that you're familiar with. We learned them in Sunday school as a little bit of kids. Uh, Daniel in the lion's den, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, and, and you know several other stories. But then chapters 8 through 12 are Daniel's prophecy about the restoration of Israel about the coming of the Messiah, and also about the end of the world and events that would take place during the tribulation and the end times. And so here's the question that I believe that's presented to us as we go through this, presented to you and I here in the book of Daniel. What does faithfulness to God look like in a secular world and culture that is controlled by secular powers. What does it look like living in Babylon, trying to be a follower of Christ in a world that's trying to do everything within its power to have us follow their ways? How do we bloom where we have been planted. So back to our story. Daniel is one of four young men we're going to see here. Good looking, smart, healthy, athletic. Again, like many of you in the room, right? The best of the best. And they have been taken captive and they're being forced into King Nebuchadnezzar's service. And scholars tell us that Daniel and his friends here would have been around 15 years old at the time that this happened. 15 years old. These four Hebrew young men had names. They had been given names by their families. Names that would honor God and bring glory to God. But King Nebuchadnezzar, when he got control of them, he changed their names to honor his gods. Daniel, which meant God is my judge, his name was changed to Belshazzar, which means Baal protects the king. And the other three's names uh, were changed as well, as you'll see as you go through this. But now, I want you to think about for just a minute, not only were their names changed, but I want you to think about how these 15-year-old young men, boys, how their lives were changed in an instant. High school boys who saw their nation being invaded, their homes being invaded, their families and family members being killed, their temple was ransacked. And desecrated. Their future as normal teenagers. The lives that they had been living and, and enjoying. Their future as husbands 
and as fathers has been robbed from them at the age of 15. Their names were changed to give praise to and to honor these gods of Babylon. And some of us here today may feel like we've been forced into a difficult situation that we didn't choose. But friend, I'd argue with you that it's nothing like what these four young men were facing. So does, what does faithfulness look like in that? What does faithfulness look like in that kind of situation? Well, look down now at verse 8. It says, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself. He resolved. What did he do? He made up his mind that he would not be defiled with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. What did he do? He made up his mind and he was bold about his convictions, wasn't he? Now the royal food and, and wine here would have been uh, included uh, in a lot of things that were forbidden for the Israelites to eat in the Old Testament scriptures. It would have been defiled because it would have been offered uh, and, and, and sacrificed for other gods and other purposes. And so uh, there are many things in scripture that uh, the Israelites were forbidden to eat or drink. And so Daniel finds here his first test of faith after being taken captive here, would they conform to the Torah or the scriptures that they had that basically gave them their blueprint, their guide for being a follower of God? Would they conform to the scriptures or would they cave in to the culture of Babylon? Friends, we find ourselves in a very similar situation today, every single one of us. Will we conform to what the Scriptures say, or will we conform to the culture of Babylon? And so Daniel asked that he and his friends be able to eat something different. And verse 9 says this, Now God had caused the official... To show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Verse 11, Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had pointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Sounds kind of like the diet my wife has me on right now. <clears throat> and here's what I got to say about that. Let's just chase that rabbit while we're here. Please don't think that Daniel is giving us some secretly blessed keto diet, all right? 
Friends, we can take a lot of things out of context. That is not the point of this. All right? It's not the point. These were the only things that they had available to them that were not ritually defiled. Okay? Now, you're free to follow this Daniel diet if you want to, but that's not the point. That is not the point of this chapter. And so if you try to use this chapter to find some biblical mandate to eat only vegetables and water, I'm telling you, Andes will be in heaven. It is manna from heaven. And so you can choose vegetables and water if you want to because Daniel did. Or somehow if you take this and use it to support your idea, uh, your way of thinking about essential oils, all right, we can't be friends anymore. That is not what this means. But Daniel says, let us eat vegetables and water because these are the things that were not defiled. Verse 13, then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better. Better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. Now skip down to verse 20. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Don't miss this. God blessed them for their faithfulness. God blessed them. And there is an extremely important principle here for you and for me. When you commit to doing things God's way, God often will bring glory to Himself by honoring your faithfulness so that others would see Him through you. And your faithfulness and obedience. And and again, this is not some kind of magical formula that if you check the right boxes and you eat the right thing, the the water and the vegetables, you know, it's it's not not a formula here, all right, that we have to follow because sometimes like we'll see in the life of Daniel, you do the right things and things still don't go well, right? I mean, sometimes that happens. Sometimes you do the right thing and you suffer for it. For doing the right thing. But I'm telling you this. God honors the faithfulness of His obedient children. He always has and He always will. And here's the first thing that we must learn from the life of Daniel today. And we all need to understand it, live it, and apply it. You must be different in order to make a difference. You must be different in order to... To make a difference. Okay, and I'm not talking about being weird here. Alright? Christian weirdness is just weird. And it's not effective at all. Can I just tell you? Those of you that are weird Christians. Somebody came up to me this morning at first service and said, What if somebody was weird before they became a Christian? And I was like, well, Brother Jim always told me, often when someone would leave the office being weird, 
He would look at me and he would say, just because God saves them, don't mean he gives them good sense. <laughs> so I don't know what you do with that. But I mean, don't we all, seriously, don't we all know some Christian people who are just weird about it? You know, it's kind of, kind of freaky. I'm going to get in trouble. My wife's already, she's shaking her head. I see her out of the corner of my eye over shaking her head. I'm going to just tell you, being weird doesn't point people to Jesus, all right? It just freaks them out and makes them not want to be whatever you are. Uh, <laughs> I mean, when you see a car going down the road loaded up with bumper stickers, you know what, what I'm saying? You know it's either an extremely left liberal or a weird Christian, all right? If you see a car covered with bumper stickers. You know, in case of the rapture, this vehicle will be unmanned, you know? <laughs> do you follow Jesus this closely? I, I mean, really, do you see that bumper sticker and go, I want to go to church, praise God? I don't. Yeah, one's enough. And I had to take the GN sticker off of my car because of road rage, so... Can we all agree there's a difference between being weird and being different? There he is. Absolutely. We're called to be different. For these Hebrew teenagers, they were called to be different by God in their faithfulness of what they ate and what they drank. They were different. They would be guided by the Scriptures and not the ways of Babylon. And now because of Jesus and the new covenant that we have through His blood, we're no longer bound to these Old Testament food rituals that were put in place for Israel. But we have to ask ourselves, how does this look for us today? What's the royal food and wine that's being pushed on us today? How does this look for us? How do we keep from defiling ourselves with the royal food and wine in our Babylon, in our culture today? Well, three things real quickly this morning. First, we show we are different by living according to different values. You will be different in this world if you live by a set of values that come from God's Word and not the culture around you. And how are God's values different than the culture that we live in? Well, the culture of Babylon, uh, Satan uses to fight against the values of God. And one of those things, and nobody likes to talk about it, but I'm telling you, it's one of the most common things that battles for our lives and our attention today, and that's our stuff and our money. Babylon approaches money and possessions from the standpoint of get all you can, keep all you can for as long as you can, and these things are the lifeblood or the keys to having the good life, right? What does our world tell us will give us a better life? 
What is it that our culture is telling us that will give us the good life, that will make our life more enjoyable, make our our life better? What are all the things that culture tells us is the key to having the good life? Well, for the believer, the faithful in Christ, we're called to be different when it comes to these things. I'm not saying that money and things that God allows us to have are, are bad. Yes, we live off of money. I mean, we have to have it to get by in this world. But we understand, hopefully, we understand that everything that we have, all of our money, are things that have been entrusted to us by God. Somehow we think we've earned it. Somehow we think that we have been the one that has been successful in accumulating all of these things and all of this money. But friends, here's the deal. It has all just been put on loan to us. Why? Why would He do that? Use it for Him. So that we would use it for His glory. So that we would use it for good. He has entrusted it to us. And He says, here's my word. Here's how I want you to live. Here's how I want you to think about other people. Now use what you have for my glory. And friends, I'll just tell you. We will be different in the world that we live in today. If we use the things that have been entrusted to us by God to make a difference in the world for Christ. We'll be different when we do that. And so the question that we must ask is this. Is our approach to these things, stuff, money, things that we accumulate, is our approach to these things more in line with Babylon or more in line with the Bible? Which of these things? If your life is shaped by the Bible like Daniel, or are we going to give in to the culture of Babylon that's being forced on us? You know what? Just like with Daniel, it's your choice. We talked about it last week. It comes down to the fact that it's your decision. Second way that we show we are different is by refusing to compromise our convictions. Refusing to compromise our convictions. These four young men didn't compromise their convictions or what they believed, even when doing so threatened to cost them greatly, maybe even their lives. And for the follower of Jesus, convictions that we have that come from the Scriptures are not something that we can set aside either. It's not something that we can go, oh, that's that's old-timey, that's old-fashioned stuff back there. No, convictions are convictions if they come from God's Word. We cannot set them aside. And if you had convictions in the past because of your faith in Jesus, that you wouldn't allow certain things into your home, like alcohol, drugs, 
or even bad influences on TV or the internet, can I ask you, have you given up some of your convictions? Have you compromised with the things of Babylon? Have you compromised with the things of the world and allowed some of your convictions to get relaxed because, hey, this is the world that we live in now. This is our culture. This is considered to be acceptable now. And so we relax our convictions. Friends, we cannot compromise our convictions that come from the Word of God. And yes, when we do that, we will be viewed in our culture as being different. But it's those convictions that if we will stick to them, will make a difference. I promise you, if you will stick to some convictions in your home, it will make a difference in the life of your children. It'll make a difference in the life of your grandchildren. And when we begin to relax those convictions, and we begin to let the, the, the things of Babylon begin to come into our home and influence our families in the way that we live, you know what? That's going to impact your children. And that's going to impact your grandchildren. And again, it's your choice. But I'll tell you, those who honor God, He will honor. And again, this isn't, isn't some magic formula or even a promise because sometimes you do the right thing and you stick to your convictions and you suffer because of it. But like Daniel's here, shows us that God often uses our refusal to compromise as the vehicle through which He will show off His power and glorify His name through our faithfulness. And then the last and third thing this morning is this. We show that we are different by conforming to Scripture, not to culture. Listen, the ways of Jesus are just counter-cultural in our world today. It just are. The ways of Jesus flies in the face of the world that we're living in today. The teachings of Scripture on the sanctity of marriage are counter-cultural to our world today and what's being shoved down our throats. The teaching of scriptures on equality for all men, women, and nationality as each being made in the image and likeness of God is countercultural to our world today. The teaching of scriptures about being generous, giving to the poor, helping the needy are countercultural to our world today. The teaching of Scripture about putting God first, others second, and ourselves last. Well, that's just crazy. It's countercultural in the world that we're living in today. One of the greatest tragedies in the church in America today is how often and how consistently we have conformed to Babylon. The question is, what will we do with these things our culture today requires us 
to conform to. The royal foods and wine that it requires us to eat. What will we do with those things? Will we be different? Or will we look just like the Babylonians? Let me tell you something. A follower of Jesus will look different than those of Babylon. And until we are different, we won't make a difference. The point of Daniel is not that he or his friends could ever be righteous enough or good enough or be different enough to win Babylon back to God. Or us as well. You know, that's, that's not the point. Daniel's life was simply this. It was a prophecy about a Savior who would come, a Savior who would perfectly live a life in complete tune with God, a perfect life, a Savior that would not defile himself at all with any of Babylon's teachings or temptings or delicacies that it had to offer. And it would cost him his life. Unlike, uh, unlike Daniel, Jesus wasn't just threatened with death. Jesus was actually murdered for living a life like he did. And then in the ultimate act of courage and faithfulness, he offered grace, he offered forgiveness, and he offered salvation to those who would kill him. And you know what? God didn't make him look better like he did with Daniel and his friends, but God raised him from the dead. And now, friends, because he has done that, we can live in his power we have this resurrection power. I say it all the time. It's flowing in our veins. We have the power to live a different life, a Christian life in Babylon. We do. We have the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us. And because Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, and because the tomb is empty, we can live in that and be victorious in that every single day. And we're called to live a life like Jesus. Will we always get it right? Will we be perfect? No. Scripture talks about that You know, we're like this piece of clay that He's trying to form every single day and shape us into His image. And sometimes he, He's taken me and He just went you know, back down on the wheel and go, i got to start over again. Right? But, but that's the point of being a follower of Christ is that we allow Him to do this work in us so that we begin to take on the image, the characteristics, and the life of our Father. So that we would begin to look more like Jesus. And yeah, we would be different. We wouldn't be weird, but we would be different. And people would begin to look at us and notice the difference. And you know what? They were attracted to Jesus. Why, why did multitudes follow Him? Because He was different. And people liked what they saw and what they heard. They wouldn't have followed Him if He had been a weirdo, right? No. And listen, people will be drawn to you if you're different 
from this culture that we live in as well. Not so that they would lift you up, and, but they would look at you and go, I, I knew that guy before. He's different now. Why? And I like what I see in his life or her life. Where'd that come from? And how can I have that in my life? God has called most of us here today to live in Babylon. And now he wants to use you like he used Daniel. and Like he used Jesus. Friends, he put you here. Why? To live the good life? He put you here. Why? So that you could accumulate, accumulate a lot of stuff that your kids are just going to sell when you die and they're going to blow the money? I mean, I told my kids, I said, when I die, I'm going to have one dime left in my name. I'm going to swallow it right before I go. <laughs> and I'm going to have every payment book for all them new cars I'm driving forwarded to your mailing address. It's going to be your problem, not mine. Is that why he put us here? Is that why he created you? Is that why you've got breath in your lungs today so that you could live your life for you? No, he created you so that you would live your life for him. Make a difference. And you'll make a difference by being different. The question is this. Are you willing to be different in order to make that difference? Will you bloom where you've been planted? For the glory of God. Let me pray for you. God I thank you today. For this. This powerful message man. I, we, we just look at. Right here in the early stages. Of this story about Daniel. And his friends here. Can't even imagine being in a situation like that. But God yet. Here we are. In a situation. We're in a situation where the world is telling us you've got to eat the royal food and drink the wine. Here's the way you should live. This is our culture. This is what is expected. This is what's normal. God, I pray that you'll forgive me that I've bought into that. I pray that you'll forgive me where I failed in that. And I've been influenced by the world and that influence is strong and it's powerful and it's loud. But God, this reminder that we have all the help that we need. We have the power that we need to be resolved to not compromise, and to live lives based on our convictions. We can do it with your help. But we got to have your help. Because I know me, and I know I can't do that on my own. I can't do it in my own strength or in my own power, or even my own will. I'm going to have to have your help to be able to do that. God, there's nothing more that I want in my life 
right now than to glorify you and to be different so that people would see you and know you. I want people to experience the forgiveness that I have experienced. I want people to experience the salvation that I know, the assurance and the peace that I have in knowing that I am a child of the King. And I know where I'm going to spend my eternity. And God, I can't help but think that there may be some here today or there may be some listening online that doesn't have that peace. And they know that they have gotten caught up in the ways and the culture of Babylon. And today, I'm going to thank you for what you're doing. As you take that clay and continue to work it, continue to shape it. And we may not have walked in here today looking much like you. But if we'll take what you've spoken to us today and say, I want that. I want my life to make a difference for Jesus. Then we're going to walk out of here today as a piece of clay that has been shaped a little more in the image of our Father. And we're going to look more like you as we go to work tomorrow, as we go to places that we have to go. We're going to look more like you at home with our family, with our spouses, with our kids, and with our grandkids. They're going to be able to notice a difference. And it will make a difference in their lives. So I thank you for what you're doing here today, but God, I'm also thanking you for what you're going to do in the days ahead as people walk out of here determined, committed to live a life that is different in order to make a difference in this world. I know that they can do it with your help, and we thank you for that. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus that I pray, and I ask these things. Amen. God bless you guys. Hey, be praying for our kids and our sponsors that are leaving tomorrow to go to church camp. About 40 of them are heading out.